0: Welcome to another episode of Backlash Podcast. This week we are going to talk to Steve Hiding, Hall of Fame angler, freshwater, freshwater Fishing Hall of Fame angler. Not only is he you know, a Hall of Fame musky angler, but now he's a Freshwater Fishing Hall of Fame member. And we're going to talk to him about a whole variety of topics. We're going to talk about how the season's gone. We're going to talk to him about his trip to Lake of the Woods. We're going to talk to him about working minnow baits and got some tips on bucktails, and also we're going to talk about boats. We don't talk about boats that often on this podcast, and that's what's on tap for this week's episode. We are joined by Kerry Hoppy. Brad is MIA, but Carrie is here, so we have the more important of the two Hoppies. So thank you, Carrie, for filling in. It was um, last minute. Brad was supposed to be here, and then he said that he couldn't make it, so... Him being gone is a benefit to the podcast. Now all your fan club can, you know, see, hear you again. This is the second episode in a row. I think this has got to be, we haven't seen this in so long. I mean, what has it been like? I don't know. 80 episodes since you've been on back-to-back episodes.
1: That's probably this time last year. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> <laughs> it probably was there was i do i think i do recall september last year being a little difficult to track brad down so
1: right yeah it's probably going to be a little difficult again he's pretty booked up from here on out so you might hear more of me
0: that's good i, I mean I, I enjoy that like it's a nice fresh perspective you know we get to talk to the boss of musky mayhem tackle we don't always get the boss on sometimes we got to take you know second <laughs> command or is he even second command is mika taking over oh, yeah. or not
1: No, no, that, no, no, Mika's nowhere near, come in. (laughs) (laughs) Not a whole lot of effort, other than her custom colors coming out of that kid.
0: Right, that's funny. So, (laughs) I don't have a lot to talk about, because literally, so today is Wednesday, our newest episode, where it literally just came out today, we're not usually this prepared, but you know, Steve... Did a really good job of making sure he stayed on us to get this episode done. It's it, he was in Canada when we wanted to do the episode last week or the week before, whenever it was. It was going to come out. To, it was going to come out today when we're recording this episode, and he was gone. So and then he was like, "Well, I'll catch up with you guys when I get back." Well, he had, had Monday was Labor Day, so I didn't want to do anything on Monday. I w- I had to do my own catching up. And then yesterday he said he was on the road. Well, sometimes when We've done guests on the road, and you can definitely tell audio-wise that they've been on the road. So I'm like, okay, well, we'll fill in with what we did. Hopefully, hopefully, when you're hearing this episode, you didn't hate last week's episode. And so then he made sure he stayed on it, and then we were trying to work out a time with Brad and me and Steve, and that didn't work out. So, Carrie. You saved the day. You kept Backlash Podcast on course for, what, another week? I, I mean, how many have we done in a row? I, was it? was. It's 187, I believe. There you go. So 187 weeks in a row that we've been rolling out podcasts. And if you're still out, as we say, every single week, if you're still looking for gear for your next musky fishing adventure, please make sure you check out TeamRhinoOutdoors.com. That's the website that I own and operate. And we have all things that you need for musky angling. And then if you also want to check out more gear, as I suggest that you do make sure you go check out musky mayhem, And I know Carrie, you've been sending me a couple pictures probably sounds like, you know, if you're a fan of musky mayhem tackle, you're probably gonna be able to get some new gear on musky mayhem tackle. I don't know how soon, fairly soon, a little while out.
1: Uh, uh, a little while out. I might, ha- I might get lucky and get, one of the shirts that I ordered in the next couple of weeks, maybe two, two of them. But most of it should be here before Thanksgiving. Let's say that. Well, there the, you go. So the if you lead want- times, you know, all too well, the lead times on clothing these days is a, um, extensive. So.
0: Yes. Especially um, if you want to do anything that's somewhat, like if you haven't already done the design and you're looking to try to do a new design, it's yes it's it's a a little little challenging Mm -hmm, slightly
1: yeah because i i ordered what it would have been when i was up there i was like two three weeks ago i ordered all my sweatshirts and stuff and i might get one that i ordered this month and the other one i think comes next month and i got hats that hopefully come next month and yeah so we should have everything in long before christmas if you guys need are looking for Christmas presents, but and for shows, so I sh- I'm I'm hoping I ordered early enough.
0: Or like Carrie was saying, if you're looking for gear and you want it for Christmas, maybe you're looking for ideas for family members. You know they want you want to get a new Musky Mayhem something. Go check out MuskyMayhemTackle.com and uh, get yourself some new gear. Whether it be in the next couple weeks or the next couple months, make sure you don't forget about Musky Mayhem Tackle. I got nothing else to add. You got anything that you want to talk about on this intro? Looks like, I mean, not much has happened for me since yesterday.
1: I know. I was going to say that. It's not even been, it's barely been 24 hours. So not really much has changed either. So I think we should just get Steve.
0: I think we should. Let's do that. All right, our guest this week is Steve Hiding, and he's, you know, I think you just got inducted into the Freshwater Fishing Hall of Fame, Steve, so, you know, that's an awesome accomplishment. Very few of us ever get to that status, so, you know, and, then, and that's half the reason why we love having you on the podcast so much is just because of how much knowledge you bring to the table. Thanks again, Steve, for taking time out of your schedule. It's been, I don't know, I think it was like May of 21 was the last time we talked. And so I felt like, hey, it was about time to get you back on. I mean, we'd love to have you on every week, but in in order to (laughs) give some diversity, we got to go other places. But I know you're going to knock it out of the park. Much like uh, many of our guests, you're very prepared. You had a nice long list of things that you wanted to talk about this week and makes our our job a little easier. You know, Carrie and I, we're going to do the best that we can to fill Brad's shoes this week. And so once again, Steve, thanks for coming on. And again, you know, congratulations on your induction in the Freshwater Fishing Hall of Fame. That's amazing.
2: Well, thanks so much, Jeff and Kerry. I'm glad to be on. I'm not going to say it's been too long. You've got lots of other inter- interesting people to get on your podcast. Anytime you want me on, I'll be glad to do it.
0: Absolutely. And we, and like, again, we, you know, definitely appreciate it. So Steve, you know, one thing I noticed since the last time you've been on is, uh, well, first off you're retired, you know, so congratulations on that. I And you know, well, let's, let's go over that quick before I go anywhere else on that. How's retirement been for you? I'm assuming it's got to be as great as everyone says it is, right?
2: Well, yeah. As we were, you know, when we we're chatting ahead of time here, I, I said, I wish I thought of it sooner. That's kind of been my stock answer. I'm enjoying it a lot. I, I really haven't retired. You know, I, I retired from musky hunter. I don't need the steady paycheck that came with that anymore. Um, now I'm working for myself, and I'm enjoying that a whole lot more. Yeah, I'm guiding. I increased my other interests, in all the stuff I did on the side. I'm increasing that, and I added guided to, guiding to the to the repertoire. And uh, and I'm just having a blast this summer. It's been a lot of fun.
0: Well, speaking of the other stuff that you have going on, that's one thing I wanted to mention was, you know, since you've given up the uh, muskie hunter gig and you've essentially went into, we'll go like air quotes, retirement, it just looks like you've started yourself a little YouTube channel. Why don't you talk a little bit about that for listeners? Because obviously the listeners that come here to this podcast, they're looking to learn more stuff. And that's certainly what you're doing with your YouTube
2: channel. Well, thanks. Yeah. The YouTube channel, you know, if you go to YouTube, look for Steve Hiding's muskie tips. That's what I'm calling it. Uh, There's two to four minute segments and I'm going to do 15 a year. I've got 15 done already this year. I've got 15 in the can that I need to edit for next year already. And it's just, you know, I've been accumulating GoPro footage of fish catches for years and, you know, outside of using them at seminars, what do you do with them? And I thought, you know, there's just a lot of things that uh, could help benefit muskie fishermen. They can take a look. They can be entertained by watching a muskie or two get caught. I could explain something. I can show how to do it on YouTube without you know it's so much better than trying to do it in a you know some online forum or 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 in you know my my podcast even I I can actually show how to do it right there and I talked with a number of younger guys and I hate to say younger because I used to be young once and I'm younger than a lot of guys in the sport too so they're you know Dick Pearson Joe Booker but anyway. I, you know, I talked to a lot of younger guys and they said, keep it short. You know, if they get longer than say five, six, seven minutes, they don't want to watch it. So everything I'm putting out there is two to four minutes in length.
0: Perfect. One, well, I, I heard you mention your podcast there. I know I actually listened to the most recent episode on my way home from the Northwoods, you know, for people that are visiting the Northwoods, you, you put out a weekly podcast as well. Why don't you talk a little bit about that?
2: Well, I never thought I'd get into radio. Some people had said once I had a space for radio, but I never had a plan to ever do it. A radio station that gets broadcast quite heavily throughout the Northwoods up here, WJJQ out of Tomahawk, they approached me last year in, in 2021 and said, hey, uh, we'd like you to do a fishing report every week. Yeah, it's tough to come up with fresh stuff every week, but you know, I never thought I'd ever do it. And here I am almost at the end of the second season of doing it. You know, producing one every week, and it airs on JJQ from Thursday through Sunday, and then I archive it um, on, on uh, Anchor, which uh, then allows me to make it available to all podcast platforms such as Spotify and you know, and Apple. And so, you know, people who can't get WJJQ can listen to it you know, starting on Monday morning. So it's a little bit old, but you know, I've got a pretty dedicated following in that regard. And it, it's, it's really cool, you know, people are you know, listening to it. And uh, and you can only say so much about the current conditions. You know, like right now, we've been kind of stable here in northern Wisconsin for the last couple of weeks. You know, we're still the water temps are, you know, it's starting to edge down, but hey, the summer patterns are largely still working, except for the deep water thing. The muskies are shallow, but the water's still warm. The fish are still relatively aggressive. And it's been that way for the last three weeks. So after you cover the current conditions, well, then I'm trying to build in, you know, some knowledge, uh, you know, how to do a, a particular technique. So this podcast radio report is playing back and forth a little bit with the musky tips thing, you know, one's audio, one's visual, you know, and it seems to work. People like it. And I'm very happy with that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I listen, like I said, I listen, I wouldn't say always every single week, but you know, I'll catch up and, but unfortunately when I catch up because it's so the information so up to date, sometimes when I catch up, I'm listening to stuff from like, we'll say early August, for example, and I'm like, yeah, I probably should have listened to that in a little more timely manner. But for any of our <laughs> listeners that are wanting to listen to the podcast, if you're, wherever you're listening to this podcast, I probably am assuming you can find that same podcast
2: as well. Yeah, certainly. Again, Spotify and Apple are the, the two largest and, uh, uh, any any podcast platform that's out there, it's available on.
1: So, Steve, how's the season actually treating you this year?
2: Well, unfortunately, you had to ask. Uh, you know, through, through lots of time on the water, I'm accumulating a lot of musky catches, but it's been uh, kind of a grind, and I hate using the word grind because everybody wants to use the word grind. It's like the word epic, you know, which is epically overused. But it this year has been a grind. There you know, one of, one of the guys who listens to my podcast every week asked me about what's going on. He, he says, "You know, I, I've been questioning everything I'm doing this year, and especially early this year, I was doing the same thing." And you know, you, you go out, conditions are great. You got the south southwest wind. It's overcast. A nice chop blowing into everything. The water temperatures there—it's they should be biting. And then you go out and you don't see a fish. I mean, come on. And then you go out the next evening and. It's post-frontal, and maybe you got a northeast wind, maybe you have no wind at all, no clouds, and you get two? That doesn't make sense. And I've seen a lot of that this year. Um, And just especially through June was some of the most dreadful musky fishing I've ever experienced. But, you know, it's good to get that every now and then, you know, to be humbled by the sport, because when you get humbled, it makes you appreciate it that much more when the good times do come, and they will come. You know, I, I had some good fishing in July, some really good fishing in August and I've just, you know, really appreciated every single muskie I've caught this year, uh, largely because I was forced into it by a lousy June.
1: <laughs> right. See, and here I would say that June was okay. July was decent and August has been brutal. And September, Everybody's always got high hopes for September, right? And so far, September has not been easy. They have managed to pull a few fish out here and there, but you got to work for them. It's an all-day affair because if you hit a window, and the random windows, it's very short and you need to capitalize. But it's literally from sunup to sundown, no one knows when the window's going to get I personally was out the other day, and we did good at the, you know, the classic sunset, you know, last, whatever, half hour of light. Um, we moved a few fish then and dumped a few fish. and They're just not really committing, though, either. The ones that do eat, don't eat, eat. They're nipping or they're short striking. They're just not, like, committed or inhaling baits by any means
2: curious what you said about the, the windows because you know the windows that should be there just aren't happening this year you know I've, I've seen very little correlation with the moon this year very little correlation with the windows it's just you go fishing until you find one that wants to bite and then you catch it
1: it's an all-day affair there's no like all right let's hit the evening minor the evening major and then sunset and we're good it doesn't work that way this year from what i've witnessed Personally and what I've seen all the guys coming in and out of my house or the shop here, they're all saying the same thing and they're they're beat up, you know, spending all day every day and maybe seeing a couple fish and then getting maybe one to try and eat. That takes a lot out of you mentally.
2: Oh, especially when you're when you're so accustomed to doing better. Uh, right. You know, my my june and early july i i make no bones about it i love fishing for suspended open water muskies up here in northern wisconsin you know they run much better average size and much cleaner looking you know they don't get beat up so much by other fishermen and boy i I booked a lot of clients in june and july who you know were interested in doing this or i took them out to do it because this is the best thing i know and oh boy oh boy you know it just there were a lot of evenings I was scratching my head coming in that just didn't happen. You know, we, the best fish I got in Wisconsin again this year were open water fish. You know, so far this year, so far this year, I should say, uh, they were open water fish, but it took a lot of casts to get them. No question about that.
1: Yeah, my personal experience, the best fish I got this year were definitely open water fish, surely. But then, like I said, it's it's been a little bit trying after that, and. Some days I'm kind of a wuss that way, so I bring my walleye rod with, or my pants fish rod with, and I let them cast all day. I might be in the boat all day, but I'm definitely catching something when they're not.
2: Well, you know, we are fishing is meant to be fun, and, right. and as agree. much as, as as much fun as catching a muskie is, even when they're not biting, you know, it can get kind of old real fast. And if you want to just have fun in you know, the smallmouth fishing up up here right now. It's phenomenal. You know, there, there's big bass everywhere. Almost every lake's got big bass in it. If you just have had it with muskies, why not pick up a smaller rod and or a lighter weight rod and, you know, cast for smallies and catch them for a while. You just get yourself all fired back up again. And uh, when you get bored with catching small muskies, go back to muskies because there's lots of boredom there. <laughs> right.
1: Well, and like for us, it might be a, a day where it was me and Brad and Chase and, and Mika well, Mika's great. She spends hours and hours in the boat, but she's still only 11. So, you know, the days that you say, hey, why don't you grab your panfish rod and the waxies and, you know, you're fishing in the same spots. There's no reason why she can't catch gills off one side of the boat and they're casting for big fish on the other side of the boat. Sorry about the gills, Jeff. Um, <laughs> Never fails.
0: Every time we right? have you on a podcast.
1: I know, right? Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's entertaining when it's, when it's that. And it's honestly, it's entertaining for the people who are still casting for muskies because there's at least something happening.
2: There's a reason why those muskies are there, too. If you know, the bluegills are fighting, well, you know, you get fish, right. or you got catfish. There's all muskies nearby somewhere. Right. It
1: is a good way to entertain your children if you want them or need them to go fishing with you.
2: Well, that's the future of our sport we got to get kids out fishing i love watching a kid you know, catch a fish be it uh be it a bluegill or a muskie and just see their their eyes light up and everything you know that, that that whole experience for them you know fishing is such a great sport you know it teaches us so many things you know it, it teaches us a lot about life you know patience perseverance humility you know, we, we're usually fishing with family or friends, so it also teaches us about, you know, building relationships and love and, and that, and all that's important to life. And that all comes from fishing. And, you know, that's why we got to get kids fishing. You know, got to right. get them out and, and teach them about this sport because they're going to learn a lot about what they need to know when they get older through fishing.
1: I agree. And it'll keep them out of trouble.
2: Oh, yeah. (laughs) Kept me out of trouble. (laughs) Except for sneaking into one lake that I shouldn't have been when I was a kid. But uh, I I stopped fishing it when I turned 18 because then I knew I could get arrested for trespassing. But but yeah, when I was less than 18, I snuck into this one lake a lot and and caught a lot of bass out of it. Anyway.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it kept me occupied for hours and hours every summer. So.
0: So Steve, let's talk a little bit about this, you know, the way, the way the season has gone so far, you're talking about it being, you know, more of a struggle in your experience. Does this typically continue all the way through the season or is this something where at some point, you know, the light switch comes on and these muskies go crazy in September or October? I mean, do you have some good news for the future or, I mean, obviously you know, we're always guessing, right? We never know what the weather's going to do, but based on, let's just assume we have a normal, I don't even know what a normal fall would be anymore, but let's just say we had one. Do you think this is going to change and things are going to turn around?
2: Yeah, I, I do. I, I typically, I think there's two reset buttons to musky fishing. One, of course, is winter. The other one is turnover. And when we have a spring like we had this year where it's just, you know, the winter doesn't want to give up and, you know, it's a late the muskies are spawning late. You know, that always carries through the season. You're always going to have a tough season. It, it's it's going to start slow and things are going to be kind of iffy all season long. Whatever spawning does to them, it's always better to have that in the re- rearview mirror and lots of weeks in the rearview mirror when the season opens. And I think this year, in the middle of May, you know, we had that warm up into the 90s and the water temperature shot up, and then they came back down again. Uh, you know, it's like three or four days of 90 degree weather. And I don't know what that did, but it seemed to affect them. I honestly couldn't tell you what it does to them. You'd have to ask them. But it, it seemed to have more of an effect this year than you would think. And, you know, that carries through. But then you hit turnover, and that's always another reset button. And typically, once you hit turnover, you're going to have a good fall, especially if if you have a nice, steady decline in water temperature. You know, as opposed to water temperature jumping up and down, which is usually the case. But if you have a nice steady decline after turnover, usually fishing is very good.
0: All right. Well, let's talk a little bit more about the, I would say the, the more recent past. So recently you had a trip to Lake of the Woods. Why don't you talk a little bit about how that went?
2: Well, it was a lot like what we've had here in northern Wisconsin, where you just have no patterns. You go fish and fish and fish until you find one that wants to bite. And, we had a good week last week, not quite the numbers of fish I expect for a week on Lake of the Woods. We're up at the northwest angle, and you know I've been going up there, I don't know how many times I've been up there over the years, and I've, I've got an expectation for this trip, what my buddy and I are going to catch. Um, you know, Kevin Schmidt, I typically make this trip with, and he's an outstanding fisherman, and I have an expectation. Like I said, we didn't quite hit that, but we still had a good week. Uh, the water's much lower. Everybody is still, I think, freaked out by the five foot... You know, ex- think about how much water that is. You got a million and a half acres of Lake of the Woods, and back in June and July, it was five feet higher than it's ever been, or or, or above pool, whatever they, whatever they said, but it was five feet high. It was just an incredible amount of water, and they really haven't had a whole lot of rain since July, and now it's back to the point where it's you know, you can, like the the, the launch at Young's Bay um, up the angle, you can use the launch again. You can see the piers. You know, you don't need the barrels full of sand on the end of the piers, so you can launch your boat between them, which was kind of a freaky experience as we saw back in July. The walleye rocks out in front of uh, Young's Bay, they are both out of the water now. The water is down. We're starting to see beaches and that. It's been an interesting year up there. I, I saw more weeds up there than I have probably ever. The old timers, the guys who have been going up there a long before I have, they, they said all well, it used to be weeds in all these locations. Well now we're starting to see weeds there and the other I, I think the rusty crayfish have kind of found their, their niche in the uh environment as they have here in Wisconsin and a lot of the on a lot of the Midwest lakes they haven't eaten all the weeds anymore. Saw more weeds, but last week the fish were still buried in the weeds as opposed to rocks. I caught one monkey off a reef. That was the only pure rock fish that we had all week. We had several others that came from rocks, but there were weeds right next to them, either, either bulrushes or cabbage. You know That fish just moved to the rock for whatever reason at that point. For the most part, it was trying to work them out of cabbage. You know, they were buried in the cabbage, and we caught several fish fluttering a minnow bait in the cabbage, You know, which is a very visual strike, a very cool strike to get. But by the end of the week, if it wasn't a bucktail, they weren't going to eat it. And there was no top water action that we saw last week. Just a, I don't know. You, again, you just had to fish and fish and fish and fish until you found one that wanted to bite. And then you caught it. And and those fish tended to hang out. We didn't lose a whole lot of fish either. They hung out on the base until they hit the net. A
0: couple of things there, Steve. You talked about cabbage and you talked about launching boats. Let's first, when you, when you talked about launching boats, it made me think about your boat. I know recently you switched over. You used to be with Ranger boats all the time and now you're with Vexus. I don't know that the brand, the Vexus brand is as well known, obviously, as the Ranger brand. The Ranger brand is pretty iconic. Why don't you talk a little bit about your new rig too? Because I mean, I think there's a bunch of anglers that maybe have interest in it. Maybe they've kind of heard about it, but they're not exactly, you know, sure all about it. Why don't you kind of talk a little bit about that?
2: Well. When Bass Pro and Tracker bought Ranger back in the end of, I think it's December 2014, they let the entire management team of Ranger boats go at that time. And, you know, those guys could have just gone off and done something else, or they could basically, what they did was go across the road to uh, an industrial park on the other side of Highway 178 in Flippin' Arkansas and put up a state-of-the-art factory and start building boats. So that's what Vex's Boats is the whole management team that got let go by, you know, by Bass Pro track. And they are building what I believe is, you know, the absolute highest quality boat on the market right now. You know, I, I had a, a great run with Ranger, but they have pulled out from just about all promotion in the muskie industry. They even pulled out from the national championship muskie open, uh, that big tournament in Eagle River that IFC. And, you know, Ranger helped found that tournament 36 years ago. And they completely pulled out of that, did my research last year. I looked at a lot of different boats fishing several of them. you know if friends had boats that I was interested in, I made a point of getting out fishing with them just to see what I liked. I came to Vexus, and I decided, well you know Vexus is willing to work with me, and yeah, they did because you know, like I said, I know all the guys uh, from all my years of you know working with Ranger you know and, and so I know that entire management staff and I was going to buy one anyways, whether they work with me or not. That was my plan because I needed a new boat, and I've become very spoiled by running, you know, good quality boats. And so that's what I had to have was a very good quality boat. And uh, so now I'm, I'm working with Vexus. I'm very happy. It's uh, just uh, just an outstanding boat, outstanding rig. And I think as guys start looking at it, and seeing what's available, I think that brand is really going to take off.
0: It's interesting you talk about how. You know, it was like the older, basically the older management team of Ranger went over and started vexus. one. Well, it's it's weird how that's that dynamic has happened a couple times because I know with like Bahio sunglasses, that was the same kind of situation. They all worked for Costa, obviously. Costa is an iconic iconic brand, and now they're trying to build, you know, a better product than that. You know, with the sunglasses. So it's just. It's, it's weird how the parallel is. I mean, you'd think almost pretty soon that these management companies would be like, yeah, maybe we should probably keep our guys in place so they don't go out and be competition to us.
2: I'm not a businessman. I'm not a CEO. I'm not going to, you know, a Ambassador and Tracker can run their business the way they want, but um, it doesn't seem to work very well in the long term for a lot of them. And, you know, Vex is just building boats and selling those boats as fast as they can make them right now. And, it's it, it's an incredible thing, and I'll tell you right now, it, it's as good as, if not better than any Ranger I ever had. In, you know, twenty eight years of working with Ranger. the trailers are better. It's just a remarkable rig, and, and you know, it, and there's so much storage in it. I mean, the the the, the, the uh, port side storage box in the front deck, I can sit in it. You know, you know, I'm a big guy. I can sit in that thing. And, and I can't pull it, the lid, you know, closed on top of me, but I can sit in it. So you can just imagine how many lures I can stuff in that. And oh, gosh, it, it, it's got so much room that it can, it can actually carry more gear than I care really need to have in the boat.
0: And that's uh, obviously that says something because as musky anglers, we love to carry gear with us. I, I talked about it with my friend in the, in the, in the boat this weekend, you know, where. You know, we're fishing and we're like, how much gear do we really need? We have all this stuff and, but you never, you never know what, you, what to, you know, what color is going to be hot or what, what bait's going to be hot. So you want to make sure you have it with you, but you end up throwing like five baits throughout the course of a day. So you <laughs> literally have tons and tons of gear, but it's almost completely unnecessary, but it, it's a musky angler
2: thing, right? Yeah. Jim, Jim Sarek got me once to, he calls it a hot box. And you know, Jim, Jim, stores his lures, as do I, in, uh, you know, plain old boxes, those 15-inch boxes that are four inches deep and four slots, and then you know, we store them below deck. So in order to keep, you know, the lures that are in play, to keep them separated from everything else, he created what he calls a hot box. And, you know, sometimes if the fish aren't biting, we refer to it as a lukewarm box, but these are the lures that were, that the fish are at least biting on occasionally. And so they're the ones that you want to be able to grab and get to in a hurry rather than digging through the boxes and putting them back in. So, you know, I, I may have a box for topwaters, a box for minnow baits, you know, several for bucktails, you know, some soft plastics and that, but then I've got this one hot box. And by the end of the week, it's like, okay, well, I'm using these three or four baits out of the hot box, and the other ones are not even getting used. And But yet I've got 300 baits, 400 baits in the boat, I don't know. And I'm using three or four. (laughs) It's funny how that works out.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, it's just in case your buddy's throwing something different. Once he says some success on it, then you're like, okay, I do have one of those with me. So, and I can pull that into the starting rotation. The hot box is a good, a good idea. I think, you know, I shouldn't start to employ something like that. I usually just use this like giant bait pile in the front. And then uh, I start pulling off the bait pile when things start going. Okay, that one's been good. This one's been no good. And then you know, as you go back, back and forth to you know camp, you start to, like you said, you start to store things away a little bit more, and you, you the bait pile gets a little bit smaller. But
2: I call it my pile of desperation.
0: Yep.
1: Around here, the hot box is called the front deck. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and this year. This year, the front neck is like half covered in baits because I, some of that I think is the Chase Gibson effect. The rest of it is because they, you know, the fish don't cooperate. There's no no one or two hot lures. You got to just keep trying.
2: Well, you know, Jeff, you, you brought up a topic there that's something <laughs> you, you desperately need to avoid. And that's if your buddy's got a bait that's hot and you don't have it, life is miserable because. You know it, 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 that can play into your whole psyche and uh, your whole bit of confidence about what you're doing going forward. I've had, you know, I prefer to have the hot faith and I've had friends who are fishing with me. They're picking up my rod. You know, if, if I'm fishing with a friend that I trust enough and is good enough with boat control that we're switching off running the boat, that we have, you know, we're everything's fair. It's, you know, if, 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 if I'm up in the front, and it's a bucktail bite, I'm going to catch everyone. And, you know, I don't want that to happen. I want it you know, I always look at musky fishing as a team sport and, and with some of my regular fishing partners, we're changing off with every spot who's running the boat. When I've got friends who are picking up my rod because my bait is hot, I feel pretty good about it. And I really don't like it when I got to pick up my friend's rod because his bait is hot. So, um, yeah, that's, thanks for bringing that up. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Definitely. So, Steve, you know, before we jump off of boats, let's talk a little bit about what model are you running for that, you know, for Vexus. And, you know, maybe I know you talked a lot about the storage. Are there any other features that would make it, you know, something that Muskie English should take a look at?
2: Well, I'm running a dbx 20 They have two models in the dbx 20 series. There's a 20, DVX-20, which is the conventional model. They also have a DVX-20S. Which uh, does not have the, uh, the storage compartments behind the driver and passenger seats, so there's a little bit less storage in that boat. It's more of an open type design. You know, taking your family out fishing is tubing or, or skiing or whatever is more important, or just as important as fishing. They have that model too. The 20footer is you know terrific for me. I can get it into most of the lakes that I fish here in Northern Wisconsin but it can also get me into and out of anything that, uh, you know, big water will throw at me. So, you know, it's a great fishing platform. I I, I love it. Uh, So far as features that it has, you know, you can extend the rod box to nine feet. Um, I've got video of that on my YouTube channel, how to do that. You know, the same technique works with, you know, regardless of what the brand is that you have of boats. You know, if it's got a center rod box, that's how you can extend those tubes, but you can get it to nine foot. You got more storage than you need. You got giant live well if you if you still use that. The cockpit area, you know, the, behind the passenger console is big enough to fit a frail big Kahuna. You know, set stand it up on side on its side. Just uh, you know, boat control is a dream. While all, all the uh, you know, it's got a 58 gallon gas tank, which this year was a little painful to try to fill, but that puts a lot of weight low in the center of gravity of the boat so it really helps with boat control the one thing that really sold me on the boat was just uh what they call their front fork and what that is is if you look at the bow there's like three triangles but most boats have just got the you know the point of the bow and there's three of them on the vexus and what that does is it helps not only helps turn down water um in big waves but it also helps widen the front casting deck because you look at most boats and they've they've got a big wide back end but if it's a 19 or 20 footer they got to come to a point up in the front somehow and some of the boats end up with a very small front casting deck i I did a lot of research last year going into this before i chose vexus if you look at say like their dbx 19 which is the next size down you compare that to other 19 footers front casting deck's about eight inches wider and that's because of that front fork. and for musky fishing you know, you got to have that big front casting deck, and and that's why I decided on Vexus even before that. I knew they were going to work with me. I, I was going to buy a Vexus if they were going to work with me or not. I was buying. It. You guys, got to look at that because that front deck is unbelievable.
0: Definitely sounds like a nice option for musky anglers to take a look at, especially if you you know you were in that higher end you know boat market that you that uh, you know that you would have been if you were looking at Ranger boats. So let's uh, let's talk. The other thing you know you were talking about was you know, aside from launching both, you were talking about cabbage. I know you particularly, I mean, if we call you a master at twitching baits, you know, crankbaits, that I would say that you'd be in that class. Based on a post I saw from you, it it seemed as though you were doing well with that technique over cabbage, crankbait twitching. Why don't you talk a a little bit about that? Because I still think that crankbaits are an underutilized tool in musky fishing. I pay attention to a lot of stuff when I'm on the water and it still seems like if there's two guys in the boat more often than not, I would say, especially in Northern Wisconsin, there's two guys throwing bucktails or on an off chance, you might see one guy throwing a bucktail, one guy throwing some sort of rubber bait, but it's very rare that I see, you know, people twitching crankbaits. Why don't you talk about that?
2: Okay. Well, that's a great question, but it's actually two parts here. You know, a crankbait, is effective and was very effective for me back in June when the muskies, at least the only muskies I could find consistently, were suspended off of brake lines. And casting a crankbait off those brake lines was probably the best thing we had going. And what that does is if that fish is in a neutral or negative feeding pattern or whatever you want to call it, that fish just doesn't really want to feed, it's not going to rise up and eat a bucktail. It's not going to come up for a topwater but if you put a crankbait down by it, you know, it, you're putting it right down in the fish's zone. And so it makes it a little bit easier for them to grab. And, and so that's, that's the beauty of crankbaits as they, they dive. But I look at crank, you know, a middle bait, what I'd call a middle bait or a twitch bait is essentially a crankbait. You know, it has a diving lip. So if you cast it out, you reel it in, it's going to dive somewhat. But with the, if they have flat sides on them and they tend to have a shorter diving lip. So with the flat sides, In a short diving lift, you're not going to get as much depth if you just straight crank them. But if you twitch them, the flat sides throw off lots of flash. And flash, of course, you know, can trigger a muskie. And um, it also, I believe, you know, you never know what a muskie thinks. But, you know, I believe it looks like a wounded bait fish, which is an easy meal for a muskie. I think I'm very good with middle baits. You know, I've been using them. You know, I, I remember the first time I saw the six-inch grandma bait back in 1988. You know, in 1988, I saw a grandma bait, and I thought, well, it looks like a Rapala knockoff. And, and uh, you know, the guy that was fishing with, Jack Spacuza from uh, from Eagle River, I didn't really like the look of the bait. He says, just put it on. Well, four hours later, we had two muskies, and I was looking where I could buy them, and I became very good with grandma baits you know, in a very short period of time because I caught a lot of fish on them. My regular fishing partner, Kevin Schmidt, is the master with minnow baits. I, I learned from him that I, I can't tell you how many muskies I've had, I've seen, I've witnessed that came up behind his bait. And that fish was just basically escorting the, the, the bait out, had no intention of eating, and all of a sudden, Kevin's got that fish eating the bait. And it's, there. there have been times I just, you know, I looked at it, and this is years ago. I just, just leave that fish alone. It's not going to bite. And then you know, a minute or two later, it's in the net. But there are things to do. And it, it, it's so much fun to catch them this way because it can be very visual. It's not as visual as a water, but when they come roaring out of a cabbage bed, eat a, a minnow bait, to T-bone, that minnow bait, I sit there and giggle sometimes just just doing it. And what was working for us last week, and again, we're up on Lake of the Woods, so the fish are buried back in the cabbage. And we were taking a, a 7 and a half inch grandma bait you know, with rounded lip, You know, with the water coming down on Lake of the Woods. There's a lot of cabbage that's up to the surface and lying down on the surface of the lake right now, which makes fishing through the cabbage even more difficult. But yet a grandma bait with its rounded lip is a lot better to fish in thick cabbage situations like that than, say, a slammer or or a shallow reader, which, again, are two lures that I use a lot. But because they have that squared lip as opposed to the rounded lip, they're not as good in that super thick cabbage situation. And so we're tossing that little gravel bait in there and just hitting it with a slack line twitch, which is, you know, you kind of point the rod tip at the bait to create slack and then snapping it with your wrist. you're trying to create very, very little forward movement and cast, you know, you were casting it to, you know, in some cases across the patches of cabbage or into the pocket in the cabbage, and then using that slack line twitch to create a lot of flash, a lot of wiggle, but very little forward movement to get that bait just to flash and flash and flash and flash and pretty much stay in place. And then you're using a longer rod, eight and a half or nine foot long rod to steer the bait around the stalks of cabbage i was giggling a couple times because i was able to you know here, here here's this cabbage up and lying on the surface and i was steering the bait so it was going underneath that cabbage that's on the surface and then and coming through weed free if you contact the weeds you just kind of you know pull a little bit you might actually bend that stalk of cabbage somewhat and then you give it slack and let it rise back to the surface and then pull it back the other way. And now it's coming through weed-free. And you just take your time and, and be light, be very patient. And I guess I kind of co- coined a term called fluttering because that's what the bait is doing is it's fluttering in place. And you just keep working it slowly until you hit the ed- edge of the cabbage or a deep pocket in the cabbage. And then you give it a couple hard rips to get gain some depth and then let it rise back up. And you often will get a fish to just come out and look, and now you know that fish is there. But when they come out and T-bone, and you're watching it, and you know, you, you've know got so much concentration going, watching that bait, flutter, 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 flutter. And you're trying to steer it around the cabbage and come through weed-free, and all of a sudden something comes roaring out and T-bones it. It's just a blast. It's just absolutely a blast. It's extremely deadly. And, and they, if they hit a, a minnow bait, you know, it's got lots of little pointy hooks, and almost all of them end up in the bottom of the net. It's a great way of catching them.
0: So I got a question for you. Is this a technique that you would use, you know, on fish that you've already located, or is this something you use to try to locate fish? Or you know, let's talk a little bit about that. Like, when do you
2: use the technique? Use it for both. You know, you you can pull up to a cabbage and cabbage bed, and you know, you may see fish that you may not catch for a couple of days, but they're in there. You know, now it now it, it, it's time to come. You know, it, you come back in a you know evening or some other window that. You know, this year it hasn't been Windows. It's just let's just go fish the cabbage. There was a fish in there. Let's go and fish it. You know, you can locate them. You can catch them. It's just a great way of moving muskies because they just can't help it. it. They're burying the weeds and whatever that is above them. What, however they view it, you know, they're looking up. Their eyes on the top of their head, and there's water movement. There's lots of flash, and sometimes the water underneath the bait just gives a light because the fish kind of comes up and shows itself, and you know the. The sun catches catches a golden side, and you're like, "Oh, okay, there's a fish here." You know, some of those you get with a dead stick, and that's a whole other story. It's a great way of locating them, and it's a great way to come back and catch them. So it, it 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 does both.
0: And then the other thing is, when you were talking, you mentioned an eight foot or nine foot rod. Is there a mm-hmm. specific rod that you <laughs> like to use most for this technique?
2: I like really like a medium heavy action you know, these are going to be middle baits for this. Typically it's seven to eight inch middle bait. You know, once you get the 9s you you're going to need a heavy action rod, but medium heavy action rod, the long Ranger eight, six long Ranger by St. Croix in the legend tournament series. is phenomenal for this. I've been with St. Croix forever. I've used all their rods from legend elites all the way down to triumphs and the legend tournament. And that eight, six is, my preferred rod for that technique just because it's a little bit more flexible amidships than to the nine or the, the 86 elite medium heavy action. You know, the actions are the same, but the rods are a little bit different because of the, of the, uh, the carbon fiber that's being used in that 86 legend tournament long ranger. Like I said, it, it's a little bit more flexible amid ships, So you get a little bit more action out of the bait, but yet it still is a very stiff, butt. you can, you know, we've caught 50-inch fish doing this, you know, a 7-8-inch bait fluttering in the cabbage. And once once you got the hooks in them, you know, you've got the power now to control them a little bit. It's still going to be a fun fight because it's a medium-heavy rod. You can get them out of the cabbage if you have to with that rod. So a uh, 65-pound test braid helps make, it, make the cast with uh, you know, a more accurate casting. You know, casting a middle bait, sometimes a knuckleball. But you can be a little bit more accurate because it reduces the line drag and you know, certainly make longer casts. I use a 12 inch, seven strand, 90 pound test, seven strand leader made by Stealth. Uh, that does a better job cutting weeds if you have to cut weeds than just about anything else. Just a medium action, or I'm sorry, medium speed uh, bait caster, that doesn't matter. You know, so many people think when you're twitching a glider or twitching a middle bait, you got to go with a high speed reel to pick up slack. Baloney. Slack is part of the retreat. And whoever's telling you that, Uh, social media or wherever they're just giving you bad advice you know that you don't need a high speed reel to pick up slack you know that slack is essential for the retrieve and so a five to one 5.1 5.2 to one retrieve ratio reel whatever you got is perfect for this
0: all right so steve great information on a crankbait it's on twitching crankbaits hopefully a lot of people put that into action yet this you know we'll say september i mean we, we still got two weeks left in september so it's definitely a technique that's for sure going to be, you know, employed right now. But earlier I heard you talk about how, and we're talking about boats and you had mentioned that, you know, if you're up front and you're throwing a bucktail, how you're going to, in, in all likelihood, you're going to put your partner at a disadvantage because you're going to catch most of these muskies. Why don't we talk a little bit about what makes you so effective with bucktails and possibly some tricks that people can use to help them catch more fish on bucktails.
2: Well, I, I don't want to come across as saying I'm, I'm a bucktail master. There are people who are way better with bucktails than me. You know, first first and foremost, i got to say that. But I can tell you what's been working for me with bucktails, and I'm pretty good with bucktails too, and I, I do catch a lot of fish on bucktails. I guess what I was saying is if it's a bucktail bite, and I'm throwing a bucktail, yeah, I'm probably going to catch them all. But what has been working for me this year has been a very aggressive retrieve. I, I use what I what I call a pulse retrieve, which is to consciously speed up and slow down the bucktail several times through the course of the retrieve. And I'm using, you know, with, with the with the bigger bigger blades, you know, such as you know, Carrie and Brad's, you know, cowgirls, you know, the double 10s. I'm using the uh, the Daiwa Prorex reel. Uh, I believe it's a five three to one. It's got a nice large spool with a power handle. That thing is awesome for fishing you know, those hard pulling baits. So what I'm doing is, you know, of course, synchronizing the bucktail so as it hits the water, the blade's spinning, and then I'm consciously speeding up and slowing down and doing that, every time you speed up, the bait rises in the water column just a little bit. You slow down, it sinks a little bit, but each time you do that, it kind of flares the tail, causes, causes the tail to wiggle. As I'm coming to the boat, I'm always speeding up, coming to the boat, and then I'm kind of swinging the rod a little bit to my left just to create a little bit of an angle change but it helps that speed up and that swing to the left it'll create an angle change but also makes the transition into the figure eight much more smooth and i've caught a bunch of fish this year that have been eating right at that point you know just you make that little bit of a direction change swinging the rod tip to the left and they're grabbing it right there and they're you know that speed up they're usually moving pretty good at that point and then if they don't eat it there, well, you take them around the figure eight. And the last week I I took one around in the figure eight. I got it in the sixteenth lap of the figure eight. I, I thought it was twenty five, <laughs> but uh, by the time it, I went back and looked at the GoPro footage, you know, upon further review, and it was uh, it was in the sixteenth lap that the fish finally did grab the bait. never thought that would happen, but you know, I, in that regard, I was just being creative with the figure eight. You know that. Everybody knows what the hang move is now, and and hopefully everybody's you know doing a figure eight where you're 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 breaking your left or right, you know right at your feet at the boat and turning out, and hanging you know out the outside corners, you know because if they grab them there, they're you know they're going away from the boat. You're probably going to hook them. You know I did the hang move, that didn't work. Fish started short cutting. Well, I went to ovals, that didn't work. Kevin was in the back at that time, and and he was coaching me through because there were times because of the sun. I couldn't see the fish. It got under, got into the shadow underneath the boat at one point. I couldn't see it, he, and I was about to go deep. He said, don't go deep. He said, you might hit him. And so I didn't go deep with the rod tip. Boy, you know, it, it just was a, a matter of after probably about 12 times around, I'm thinking, what can I do to get this fish to go? And so I slowed my bucktail way down to where the blades were barely spinning, and then I started twitching it. Well, then the fish started nipping at the bucktail, missed it like three or four times you know he was three inches behind it's kind of closing his mouth and then finally he did grab it on on one of those twitches um, and i was able to get up what i think mattered with this fish is i don't think it could swim normally it turned out it had a, a big bend in its back and it suffered an injury at some point but it had a, a big bend in its back where the tail was bent down and i couldn't figure it out as i was figurating the fish because i'm looking at it thinking you know you've you got to you've got a head of a high 40 inch fish but you look like you're 40 41 42 inches long and well that's because i was looking at his dorsal fin thinking that that's where the tail was that that whole bend he was just kind of i can't i can only imagine how the fish was kind of swimming around maybe like a maybe like a dragon or whatever with its head up and the tail down and his, i couldn't straighten it out to measure couldn't straighten it out to hold it for pictures that's so just the way it was Long story here, long explanation. Speed up, slow down the bucktail, swing it wide into the figure eight, do a good figure eight, be creative in the figure eight because they're not going to always grab it on the first turn, the first couple turns or maybe the first couple laps. And you know that one took, like I said, into the 16th lap to get it.
0: It's always neat when you can go back on a GoPro and see that kind of stuff. Like we had... The other night we had one blow up on a top water and I was like, I didn't see the fish and I was like, I don't know if I could, I don't know if I'd be able to see it or not, but you could see the boil. And I just was curious to see how big the boil was. And you know, it's just cool stuff that you can see that if you weren't running cameras in your boat, you know, like you were talking there with you know, seeing the fish go around 16 times in the figure eight. I mean, that's, it's cool stuff that you, that you learn from, you know, being able to go back and watch those replays.
2: You know, I, I've gained so much more respect for the fish too, insofar as them being a predator by watching what they do with the GoPro. You know, it, it, the GoPro is a very objective observer. I mean, we get excited over a big fish up at the boat and we're trying to catch it. And, you know, you're you're hoping that uh, everything comes out, you get that fish in the net. But if you screw up, the GoPro is going to show it to you. You probably get started with the GoPro out of vanity. You want to see yourself catch fish. Yeah, that's cool doing it. But then if you start watching your footage and analyzing it, um, you can see where mistakes have been made and it can be very brutal in that respect, you know, you, but it can help you improve as a fisherman. With filming, you know, muskies, you know, you know, I, I filmed a lot of videos over back, you know, back when DVDs were a thing and, and filmed a lot of episodes with Jim Sarek and Muskie Hunter TV. And the one thing that really stands out watching what a fish can do is I had a 50 incher and a figure eight on TV uh, I know, it was 2012 2013 something like that and jim and i were trying to film a, a tv show and this fish came in and took him around uh, three four times and he finally he grabs the bait and i set the hook and the hooks get him in the side of the head well it didn't look like he hooked very well so i'm barely playing him i'm you know i'm ba- basically keeping the the rod tip bent slightly and letting the fish swim around it was over you know, almost two and a half minutes by the time we got at the net because i didn't think i could put any pressure on him i figured if i tried pulling him the wrong way the hooks were going to pull off he actually was hooked a little bit better than what we thought but when we went back and thought you know how do you get hooked on the house on the outside of the head and went back and looked at the the camera footage and i don't know if it was 160th of a second or 130th of a second whatever the camera was recording at but that fish had the it was, uh, you know, one of Brad and Carrie's baits it was a cowgirl. It had the whole cowgirl in its mouth on one frame and the whole cowgirl blown out of its mouth in the next frame. And in that 30th or 60th of a second, I set the hook. And when I set the hook, the bait was already out of the fish's mouth and I ended up snagging him in the side of the head. You know, there's no way you can go out there and intentionally try to snag one on the side of the head when you're figurating, there's no way you can do it that fish had that bait in its mouth and out of the mouth in a fraction of a second. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. But it did.
0: Yeah, that's cool. Like you said, you can learn a lot about your own techniques. You can learn a lot about your, about the uh, muskies that you're chasing too. It's really cool stuff. I mean, I recommend everybody to do it. Even, Even if they don't want to do anything with it, aside from that, it's, it's just cool to watch that. And you, you can get a whole bunch of like still frames off of it that you could never get with cameras. It's, you know, I, I think it's a cool thing. It's sort of a pain in the rear sometimes, but it definitely gives you some some cool, you know, neat stuff that you don't always get.
2: Oh, GoPros are the most balky thing in the world. You know, they, they keep coming out with new GoPros every year. And, and, you know, okay, for an action camera, there's still probably the best ones out there. They keep coming out with new ones, but it's just like, why don't you just make one that works all the time and be happy with it and, and not try to improve on it and, and change all the features so that. You know, the, the the controls to run it on looping for this camera is different from that camera. And it's just, just do it right for once. You know, I wish they would do that. But I, anyway. I agree.
0: But then, you know, they make a living off of us <laughs> and off of not making a perfect product. Right. I mean, that's kind of their deal. We're always searching for the perfect product. They're always searching to have some sort of slight imperfection. And if they fix one thing in one camera, it's like, they're going to revert back to something that you didn't like as much in the next one. It's, yeah, it's a little bit frustrating, but I totally understand what you're saying. That's what I say. I'm like, why can't we just get a GoPro that works all the time? I mean, they're great cameras. I'm not knocking them. They're great for what they do, but they're definitely a little a little quirky.
2: I've learned that you, you, know, you pretty much got to turn around almost every time that you're changing spots or you're going to go to a different spot is just kind of take a look at them and make sure they're both still on. You know, if you're running two or, or running one, you just got to make sure that it's still on because sometimes they'll like to shut themselves off for no apparent reason. You know what? If you're running one, you sail like on a Yola tech stick, you know, that which is going to be powered off your boat battery. There's no reason for it to shut off, but they still do. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's not a battery issue at that point. It's got, you know, it's full volts to power forever and they still shut off. But anyway. I digress.
0: <laughs> Necess- necessary evils in some say in some cases, right?
2: Yeah, yeah, that is.
0: All right, Steve. Well, once again, I want to thank you for being so diligent, trying to get this episode put together. I, I mean, we really sincerely do appreciate that. And for people that are listening to the episode, they want to know more about you, whether it be your YouTube channel, your podcast, your guide service. What's the best way they can go about doing that?
2: Yeah, just go to stevehiding.com. There's links to everything there. You can get to the YouTube channel. You, you can get to the podcast. You can get to a page about my guide service. It's all at SteveHiding.com. But thank you. Yeah, this this is an absolute blast. I enjoy talking with you guys. And, Carrie, I love having the boss of Bucky Mayhem you know, on board here because, uh, you know, Brad, yeah, he, he, he hangs out to your your coattails i get it and, and have the boss <laughs> involved I, I i i really feel like i, I i've arrived now that i got the boss of Musty you may have talking to me.
1: <laughs> i am the boss today i'm the one
0: here <laughs> <laughs> just today carrie you're the boss pretty much every day i say it all the time
1: Oh uh, well i mean maker went back to school now so i'm kind of the only one I've mm-hmm. uh, actually been around quite a bit. He has gone fishing, filming fishing today. So, but, yep, but I appreciate that Steve.
2: <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> I still I appreciate being on.
0: <laughs> well, thanks again, Steve. We appreciate your, your time. I hope that you have a great fall. Like I said, uh, hopefully it's not, I don't know. I think it might've been like episode 111, was probably one of the last episodes. So it was probably roughly, you know, 80 episodes, 70, 80 episodes in between. So hopefully we don't wait that long to talk to you again. But again, you know, I hope you have a great fall. I want to thank all of our listeners this week for taking time out of their schedule to put up with us for another episode. And we'll see everybody again with a new one next Wednesday.